Hello, everybody. Hi, everyone. We are here in episode four. Episode four of Saints and Witches Quarantine Edition. This is the first episode that we're actually recording from two different places. Mm-hmm. I'm still down here in Southern Illinois. And, and Sarah. <laughs> I am at the very tippy top of Northern Illinois. <laughs> yes. Northwestern Illinois. So imagine a triangle. And at each point of the triangle is a different state. There's Wisconsin, there's Iowa, and there's me in Illinois. <laughs> That's yes. where I am. So we're trying this out, and this is probably how we're going to proceed, both because of quarantine and because Sarah will be graduating on me soon and moving home. Yes. Um, I'm excited to graduate, but it kind of feels anticlimactic now. I thought it would be this whole thing where I like said personal goodbyes to people and like had a day where I packed up all my stuff and now it's like kind of already gone that, now. Yeah, it's it's very strange. Well, anywho, enough with the <laughs> depressing stuff. Yeah, let's get into equally depressing stuff. <laughs> From history, Less of though. the plague, more of... More of a different better. plague. <laughs> yes. So this episode, we will be in England in the 1600s, 1700s? Yeah, mine is, um, mine is 1500s. 1500s. I knew mm-hmm. you were the opposite of me. I couldn't remember which direction. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm primarily in the 1600s today, but I will begin a little bit in the 1500s for context. Okay, let's get to it. So I am first today, mm-hmm. and I am going to tell you the story of the Pindle Witches of 1612 and how a nine-year-old girl killed 10 people. What the fuck? She set a precedent to kill hundreds more. What? Yeah. Okay, what are they called? Pendle? Pindle Witches. Okay. P-E-N-D-L-E. Okay, got it. So, um, like last time, whenever we were in Ireland and I talked about Kilkenny, um, I'm going to give a little bit of background to understand how the Pindle Witch Trial came to be. Okay. Um, so, I'm going to drop us first into 1500s England, which I think is what you're going to talk about a little bit today. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to give kind of a, a summary version of it. I'm sure you'll go more in depth than I will. Eh. <laughs> I didn't do that much research. Okay, so in... England in the 1500s, um, we're undergoing the English Reformation Mm -hmm. at this point in time. And we have Henry VIII, which we all know, the guy Mm -hmm. who really loves killing his wives. Um, He kickstarts a break from Rome and the papacy. And it's underneath Henry's son, Edward the... I can't read Roman numerals. Why didn't I spell this out? The sixth... Yeah, I think so, because literally I think we have the exact same background information. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Go ahead. So Henry's son, Edward, the whatever the Roman numeral is, Mm because I can't read them, um, Mm -hmm. it's under him that the Church of England really becomes Protestant, um, but the battle between the Catholic and Protestant faiths kind of continues to wage because Edward's successor, Mary, immediately reverses everything and makes it Catholic again. Bloody Mary. And and then her successor, Elizabeth, makes it Protestant again, which kind of reminds me of, like, Sleeping Beauty when the fairies just, like, (laughs) keep turning the dress color back and forth. Make it pink. Pink. Make it blue. Make it blue. (laughs) 
That is literally what this is like at this point. Uh, just a quick note that Queen Elizabeth is somebody that um, I'm likely going to end up talking about on this podcast at some point. Was she a witch? Her, well, her mother's Anne Boleyn, right. who I'm definitely going to discuss. Definitely she's going to get her, her own episode at some point. And then one of Elizabeth's associates is a mathematician and an occultist named John D, who I am dying to talk about. So she's literally associated with two people that I want to do episodes on. But Elizabeth, reason I bring her up is that it's during her reign that she puts the Protestant faith back at the forefront, but she also issues a decree outlawing witchcraft. Hmm. She does. Um, but it's surprising in this, uh, in that this decree is actually pretty soft compared to how witchcraft has been prosecuted up to this point. Um, witchcraft up to this point has been like, you're a witch, we're going to execute you. But she makes it uh, very much like a legal procedure um, where it can't just be like, uh, you're a witch, we're going to kill you. Like they actually have to go through uh, court steps. And okay. then um, it favors jail sentences and the pillory over outright execution. Hmm. So you really can only kill witches if they've murdered somebody with witchcraft. If they've done like anything else, really it's just jail sentences. Okay. So she is softer than like her predecessors when it comes to witchcraft. But then we get James the first. Oh, okay. Yes. James the first uh, comes to the English throne because um, he was already on the Scottish throne. He comes to the English throne in 1603 um, and he is the king during the time of the Pendle witch trials. Okay. So he is the king that I am primarily going to talk about today. And he is absolutely not as gentle as Elizabeth, like by any <laughs> means. Um, to be honest, he's a cunt. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> uh, the technical term for this man is a cunt. <laughs> So, there are two things that King James absolutely despises, and they are witches and Catholics. Mm. So, he would love this podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. And us. You can imagine at this time that so-called, like, servants of the devil don't flaunt their practices, but in the same way, it's a time period that Catholics are also very secretive about their practices and faith, and they're also staying out of the public eye. Um, yeah. James, he feels very justified in hating both witches and Catholics. Mm -hmm. Very justified. Um, in... 1590. He sat, and he was the king of Scotland at the time, uh, he sat in a council over something called the North Berwick Witch Trials, and these trials lasted two years. They accused nearly a hundred people, and they literally and horrendously tortured to death handfuls of them. And I mean, he thought up like the most horrific tortures he could, like ripping out people's fingernails and what? strangling them and Ooh. burning them and like eviscerating women if they weren't pregnant. And Oof. like, it was oh, bad. thank God. If you're pregnant, yeah. we'll like just if a woman, strangle you. If a woman said that she was pregnant, like she had to undergo a test to make sure that she wasn't lying. And if she was lying, then they could disembowel her. What was the test? Like, fucking. I have no idea. Like, how do you figure out if somebody's pregnant in that day and age? I know. It was a pregnancy test, like, in what is it, 1590? 1590, England, Scotland. They just, like, 
pray and then they're like god told me you're pregnant i don't uh, anyway so he tortures to death handfuls of witches and one of the things that these so-called witches stand accused of is actually causing choppy waters and storms during james's ship voyage back to scotland after he married princess anne okay so yeah like it was stormy on his voyage back and he's like witches (laughs) (laughs) oh boy all right and then and then he killed a bunch of people and then they essentially tortured people until under duress those people spit out names and then they tortured those people until they gave names and so on and so forth until a lot of people died um yeah and uh james his justification for hating catholics other than the fact like he already hated them um Things like the gunpowder plot of 1605 happened like two years into his reign. Mm -hmm. Um, Remember, remember the 5th of November. Um, Catholics attempt to blow up Parliament and assassinate him. So he's like, you know what? Witches and Catholics are out to kill me. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe at that point, you just stop and you think to yourself, am I being a cunt? I really think he should have had that self-reflection and I don't (laughs) think he ever did. Oh, okay. Well, because let's see, seven years after the North Berwick witch trials, um, before his ascension to the English throne, he writes this dissertation called Demonology. And it's like this Socratic dialogue between two characters. Um, and they're just outlining James's thoughts and beliefs on sorcery, witchcraft, demons, what they are, how to find them. Um, And then years after that is when we actually get the King James version of the Bible. So that is the King James that wrote the King James Bible. Yes, he's the one who authorized it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, it's this dick. Ugh. Okay. Yeah, it comes from this asshole right here. That sucks. (laughs) Yes, it does. Okay, continue. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm going to move us up into 1612 now into Lancashire County, England. And Dude, we are so on the same page. I don't even, okay. <laughs> I just got really, I like got chills when you said that, but go ahead. Sorry. All right. This is, it's great though, because mm-hmm. I mean, our stories are going to round each other's out. So yeah. I'm really excited. Yeah. So Lancashire County is generally regarded in this time period as a very lawless place. Um, one, it's a little like further away, kind of on like the the edge of everything, but it also has really deep rooted. Yes, you, nobody else can see me wiggling my <laughs> fingers, but I am definitely wiggling my fingers at Sarah in the camera. Um, Lancashire has deep rooted Catholic sympathies at this time, and um, it has to do with uh, like the monasteries and everything being like dissolved and they're not letting go of it and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But Lancashire also has witches. Um, and in this little borough of Pindle are two such witches, and they are called Mother Dimdike and Old Chaddix. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Those are very important names. Okay, got it. But the funny thing is that's not their actual names. Those are just like the names people gave them that they Hmm. go by. And here I'm using the term witches very, very loosely because they're actually something called cunning folk. Hmm. So cunning folk are practitioners of folk magic. And um, if you want to think of them as good witches, you can. Okay. 
cunning folk are people who use like herbs and charms to heal people or they find missing things or they help locate criminals or they tell fortunes. Okay. So none of this stuff is bad. Um, people know who they are and it's actually a source of income for them. Okay. So they're just like, they're just like chilling in cottages and stuff like making potions and shit like that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. They they make their money because I mean, they're relatively poor people. Mm -hmm. So other than uh, like their families begging and stuff, this is really how they make their money. Okay. The problem really starts to introduce itself in the fact that uh, Dimdike and Shaddix are from families that are feuding with each other um, Uh because they're, they're business rivals. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got, like, two cunning women in the same town. Um, this town ain't big enough for for two cunning women. No, it's really not. So <laughs> they hate each other. So I'm going to break down kind of the two households because it's very important that you know who's in which household, especially whenever it comes to the Pendle Witch Trials. Um, you have um, old Chaddix's family, and they're actually called the Whittles. I mean, that's, like, her actual last name is Whittle. Mm -hmm. Um, and her family, all you really need to know is there's her and there's her daughter, Anne. So the two of them. Okay. And then you have Mother Dimdike's family. They're called the Devises. Family's a little bit bigger. So there's Mother Dimdike, which she's like the 80-year-old grandma of the family. Love it. This is all, yes, this is all in one house. Um, there's her daughter, Elizabeth Devis. Elizabeth's husband, John Devis, and then they have three children, Allison, James, and nine-year-old Janet. Okay. And yes, that is that nine-year-old I I mentioned at the beginning. Oh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. I wondered why you were smiling like that. (laughs) Yes. Pay special attention to nine-year-old Janet Devis. Okay. Uh, In the feud that unfolds between these two families, the Devises, that's Mother Dendike's family, um, they actually go so far as to accuse the Whittles of stealing from them and of cursing and killing their father, John Devis. Ooh. Yes. Uh, essentially, they said that the Whittles broke into their house, took some of their stuff, and John Devis is like, you know what, um, I'll just pay them like an annual tribute so that they leave us alone. And then the second he stops paying it, he gets sick and he dies. And they're like, Ooh. you know what, they cursed him. That's why he's dead. This is dark magic. It's not like folk magic, cunning magic. Um, and dark magic is the no-no. That's the bad executable offense witchcraft. For now, the families are flying under the radar, though. Um, they really only make a blip when Allison Devis, who's one of the three children of Elizabeth and John Devis. Mm-hmm. Um, she makes a fatal mistake out on the road one day while she's begging, because you know they're poor families. She asks a passing peddler named John Law for pins. Now I have, I have absolutely no idea what pins means. It means it's pin with an eye. I, I, I don't know what that is. I could never find like any clarification on hmm. what pins is. Okay. Um, anyway, he tells her no, and he goes on his way. And she mutters a curse at him, like under her breath. Kind of how you'd mutter a curse at somebody who pisses you off. Yeah, so it wasn't like, oh, I curse you and your family. It was just like, fuck you, dude. Yeah, I imagine that it's just like, you know, it's like, I hope you get like hit by a car. You like stupid motherfucker <laughs> said something like that. Yes, every single day. (laughs) Yes. Um, Unfortunately, with the absolute worst timing in the world, John Law has a stroke and collapses in the road. (laughs) 
Oh my god, that's fucking funny. Oh no. Okay, that's not good. No. In this time period, though, all he or anyone knows is that he's paralyzed on one side. So what do you blame but witchcraft? Yeah. Strokes are. Yeah, that's so scary to not know what the fuck's going on. No. So it's just he can't move on one side. He can't get up off the road. Um, he can't really speak at this point. He's like, you know what? Like, she's a witch. Obviously, I've been struck down. Um, <laughs> Uh, he goes on to say that he sees Allison's familiar, a black dog, bothering him at his sickbed. Uh-oh. And yeah, he he begs Allison to lift her curse. And surprisingly, she admits to cursing him and oh. promises to cure him after she breaks down and asks for forgiveness. So she's completely torn up about this happening. She is totally convinced that she has hurt this man. Yeah. Um, I think she she felt responsible. But ultimately, um, she can't do anything to reverse a stroke. Um, and John dies. And mm. John's, son, John's son is pissed about it. Mm-hmm. He knows the whole story and he's pissed. John's son goes to the local magistrate, a man named Roger Knoll. And he actually fudges some of the details of the story. He says that his father did give Allison the pins she asked for and that she cursed him anyway. Hmm. Um, And because it sounded like she acted completely out of malice and killed a man for no reason, um, the Pindle Witch Trials actually begin right then and there. Wow. So this is really just like a complete sort of horrible accident. Yeah, like it's blown out of proportion, and they blame. He has a stroke at the exact wrong time, and witch trials begin because of it. Ugh. Okay. So Allison is brought in for questioning by the magistrate Roger Knoll, and to clear her conscience of any guilt that she feels, she accepts and admits full responsibility for killing John, and says she did use witchcraft and she used a familiar and everything said that, you know, she actually said, like, on the road, like, she didn't mutter a curse, like, she talked to a familiar and asked him to, like, strike him lame and everything, um, and then to further atone for everything, she just starts blaming other people. (gasps) Oh, no. Uh Uh-huh. Um, first person she blames is her 80-year-old grandma, Mother (laughs) Demdike. What the fuck? Throws her completely under the bus. Wow, bitch. (laughs) Yep. She says her grandmother killed and cursed one of their neighbors. Wow. Yep. And then she turns around and she blames old Chaddix, like their rival um, neighbor, and says that, you know, she killed their father, obviously, John Devis, for not paying that annual tribute. But she also killed three other people. Okay. Yep. Mother Demdike and old Chaddix are both brought in for questioning by Roger Knoll as well. And both admit to practicing magic. I mean, they are known cunning folk. Mm-hmm. Um, but they say that there's more to the story behind, like, these curses that they um, are said to have, like, thrown. Um, they said if they ever hurt anybody, it was only because those people had intent to harm them or, like, people in their family. Like, uh, one story I vaguely uh, remember is that one man had made advances on someone, I think, in Mother Demdike's family, um, and uh, she didn't like the fact that he was making sexual advances toward one of the people in her family, and so she cursed him. Nice. Yes, so they give examples for, like, every situation, but Roger Knoll 
does not care at all. He arrests Allison, Mother Demdike, Old Chaddix, and then for some reason, Old Chaddix's daughter, daughter Anne, too. So all are sent to cells to await trial in Lancaster Castle. After Allison, Mother Demdike, Old Chaddix, and Anne are arrested and thrown in jail, Roger Knoll, the magistrate, gets an order to start rounding up secret Catholics in the area. Oh boy, heard that before. So um, his orders are to go after anyone that doesn't show up to take communion at the church on Good Friday. Okay. Uh, This is very unfortunate for the Davis family and several others. So the few Davises that aren't in jail have a little bit of a party at their house on Good Friday instead of going to church. Makes sense. Okay. Some say it's kind of a pick-me-up because two of their family members are accused witches, like, stuck off in, like, the dungeons in the castle. Yeah. Um, A few acquaintances join them for their party, though. Um, They steal a sheep to eat, and they all get caught not being at church. Okay. And immediately rumors fly that they all skip church for evil purposes to Mm -hmm. practice witchcraft. When they were just, like, eating some, like... Stolen mutton. Legs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mutton, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I would not know. That's yeah. what it was called had I not read it. So, yeah. They're eating stolen mutton in their weird old, like, hovel of a house hmm. with a bunch of friends. And uh, they're like, nope, they're worshipping the devil and stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Roger and old magistrates not having the fact that they didn't go to church, so he pulls in the two remaining Devis children um, for questioning, and that's James Devis and nine-year-old Janet. So mm-hmm. the nine-year-old comes back again. So James immediately folds uh, underneath questioning. He says, everyone at the party is a witch. They were all practicing witchcraft. Wow. And he, yeah, he names a slew of people that were at the party. He's like, this person was here, and this person was here, and he gives a whole big long list. Nine-year-old Janet steps up, and she throws her brother James under the bus. Oh, Lord. doubles his accusations and says, you know what? Mother's a witch, and all of these guests are witch. Everybody's a witch. Wow. So, as a result, James, his mother... And a big group of people from the party are thrown in jail, along with the other four that were already there. I just want to say that Martha Stewart never snitched on anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they could have all been more like Martha Stewart, but unfortunately. I think everyone could be a little bit more like Martha Stewart. Everyone should be more like Martha Stewart. (laughs) Maybe we would have had fewer witch trials. <laughs> I would imagine so. Okay. Um, unfortunately, Mother Demdike uh, dies in jail before That's... she ever reaches trial. Was that the old grandma? Yep. She is 80 and, you know, she's stuck in the dungeons, damp, cold. And yeah, she, she just dies in the dungeon. Yeah, she probably had pneumonia. In all, you end up with 12 witches accused in the Pendle Witch Trials. It was hard enough to get those numbers right, because uh, as you will find out later, um, the trial's a little bit of a clusterfuck. So Sure. 
the trials can't take place until the judges are on, like, are all in town. Um, and the way the circuits are set up, it takes four months for that to happen. Mm. So these people sit in jail for four months. Yikes. During these four months, Janet, the nine-year-old child, uh, she's likely left as a ward um, of the Catholic and witch-hating magistrate Roger Knoll. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. Um, because her whole family is either dead or in jail at this point. You can probably guess, considering she'd already turned on her entire family after one session of questioning from Roger <laughs> Knoll, <laughs> how dangerous it might be for her to be under his influence for four months. Mm-hmm. So the trials begin August 18th, 1612. Um, one witch has already been executed off in York on testimony from Old Chaddix and James and Janet, um, I believe. Um, and it's actually interesting to read into that witch's story in particular because she'd been accused of witchcraft, had been like acquitted of it, and then like they turned right around and other people accused her of witchcraft and then they executed her. Like, Oh no. She- <laughs> Somebody had a grudge against this woman. She's like, I'm free. I've been acquitted. And then they killed her. (laughs) I cannot Uh, catch a fucking break. (laughs) No, she really could not. It was, it was, uh, was really sad, but also kind of hilarious to just watch her repeatedly be accused of witchcraft. She could not escape it. Um, the Pindle Witch Trials, what's great about them is that they're actually extremely well-preserved, unlike a lot of records we have on witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And it's because a man named Thomas Potts um, was actually tasked with sitting in the court and documenting everything that was said. Mm-hmm. Um, and he published it in a book called The Wonderful Discovery of Witches. Um, he gets a little stereotypical with some of his descriptions, though, like the withered, ugly witches. Wow. Um, Ouch. I should have gone through and excerpted some of them, but I mean, literally, like, eyes looking different directions and (laughs) so frail and ugly. Wow. Um, Let's throw him in a fucking dungeon for four months and see what happens to him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we do owe it to him that it's really nice that we actually have these witch trials. I mean, we actually have straight up, like, quotes from these people, um, testimonies that are written out like word for word. We have actual descriptions of what people looked like, the actions that they um, did in the courtroom. So um, that's really, really nice. Mm -hmm. During the trials, uh, James, he does testify against his mother, um, but the star witness of the entire trial is nine-year-old Janet Devis. (laughs) Oh, this seems like a mistake. (laughs) So, Janet's mother screams at her incoherent, betrayed, hurt, um, until Janet asks for her mother to be removed from the court. Wow. And then Janet climbs on a table and delivers her testimony to everyone. She was like a theater kid. (laughs) Yes. She's a dramatic little bitch. Wow. Um, And I mean, we actually have her testimony word for word. I won't read it, Um, but it's really cool to to have everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So standing on the table, she accuses her mother, her brother, the people at the party, and um, 
then they really like try and test her and they put the people at a party in a lineup with a bunch of strangers and they're like you know what go pick out the people at the party if you really know them and she picks out every single one of them despite the fact that earlier in some of her questioning she got like the names wrong so Mm. he gets every single person correct this Mm. time suspicious Mm -hmm. And then the court tries to trick her with made-up names, too. They're like, oh, was so-and-so at the party? And she's like, no, I don't know that person. Mm. So every time they try and trip her up, like, she gets it correct. Okay. Um, She is literally the perfect witness for, like, the prosecution. And she's utterly, like, damning for every single person that stands accused. Okay. One of the people that she picks out of the lineup is a woman named Alice Nutter. Um, <laughs> yes, Nutter. Okay, <laughs> Nutter. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, her arrest as a witch was a shock to people because Alice actually comes from a well-to-do family, unlike the Devises and the Whittles who were poor. But the Nutters were devout Catholics, and accusing someone of witchcraft is an easy way to get rid of them. If you're quarreling with them, if they owe you money, if you don't like them, if they're Catholic, if they're poor, if they have it better than you, if they're actually witches, accuse them of witchcraft and you can pretty much get rid of them. Yeah. So even though this is a witch trial, the magistrate, Roger Knoll, um, he's using it to his advantage to further the king's agenda to get rid of Catholics. He's trying to curry favor. Um, So he's getting rid of them just as much as he's getting rid of witches. I mean, he knows perfectly well that he's rounded up secret Catholics, um, but he doesn't care that they're being included in this witch trial because he's, you know, achieving what he wants in the end. Kisses. It's obvious that he's using, like, the king's agenda when you start to read Demonology, which is the book that King James published. Yeah. So James says in Demonology that witches use clay puppets to curse people. And that's exactly what the witches of Pendle are accused of being seen with. Mm. He says the devil shows up in animal forms to witches. At least three of the witches in the trials have documented familiars. James says that children are credible witnesses. They put nine-year-old Janet Devis on the stand as the star witness. And on the stand... She talks about the chants and charms used by her mother, and these chants sound folksy, but they're all mixed up with Catholic elements, too, wordings, Mm -hmm. which is just another thing. So, these trials conclude after only two days. On August 20th, 1612, one woman is found guilty of a minor offense, and she's only sentenced to the pillory, otherwise she's acquitted. You have the woman who was executed off in York, the one who couldn't catch a break. (laughs) You have Mother Demdike, who had already died in jail. Mm -hmm. But the other nine who stand accused are all sentenced to death by hanging. Yikes. Yep, every single one of them. They are taken out to the gallows, um, but it's not the gallows like you'd imagine, um, where like the hatch drops out and you break your neck. Yeah. They literally just hung there by their necks, strangled and suffocated, maybe for as long as half an hour before they died. Oh my god, a half hour. Yeah, it can take up to a half hour for you to die. Oh no. (laughs) So 
imagine that this isn't pretty like the blood in their faces eyes bulging yeah people just watching this drag out for maybe a half hour Ugh. and um little jenna devis might have even been there literally looking up at her mom and her brother as they hung all of the people she testified against and she like looks back at her new dad and she's like can we go get some ice cream after this <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of horrifying to imagine a child looking up at like all the people like she's directly responsible. That's for, for terrible. That That's terrible. <laughs> yes. Wow. So the Pendle Witch Trials, um, they kill 11 people total. But what's interesting is 20 years later, Janet Davis is actually accused of witchcraft. Wait for it. Okay. By a child. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, yep. how the turntables. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, so what did she do? She was, I think, accused of killing, I think, some man's wife, or the other way around, a woman's husband. Hmm. Um, either way, she's accused of killing somebody, which okay. is bad. Um, mm -hmm. So... Janet set a precedent when she testified in court in Pendle that child witnesses could be relied upon to deliver credible, thorough testimony. And this is a precedent that literally went down in a law manual called The Country Justice by Michael Dalton. This book being used by magistrates everywhere. Like, it literally references her. So um, the fact that this is now in a law manual sets up dominoes for the Salem witch trials, which we all recognize, saying that you can rely on child testimony in court, which is actually something that we still abide by even today. Yeah. Wow. Um, when Je uh, Janet is accused by a child, it does go to trial, but it's only because she made it possible. Oof. So Ouch. this boy, Edmund, in 1633, he arrives late home one day, and when questioned by his parents, why are you late? He weaves this fantastical story about two dogs that turned into a woman and a boy, and then the woman turned the boy into a horse, and he was carried <laughs> off to a barn full of witches where ropes hung from the ceiling, and if you tugged on them, food fell from the ceiling, and then he ran away. Oh my gosh. It sounds like a fever dream at best. Yeah. Um, ultimately, he points out 20 witches from neighboring villages with the help of his father. Like his father literally like takes him to churches and makes him stand there and just like point out women in neighboring villages until he gets to 20. And um, 17 of these women are found guilty. Oh my gosh. Unluckily for him, this actually comes on the heels of another witch trial, which happened in Leicester. And that's where a 13-year-old boy had accused 15 women of bewitching him. Oh, Lord. Nine, nine of whom were executed. That's just because they don't have any sex ed. And he sees, like, hot ladies and he's like, oh, my God, what is this feeling in my pants? Witchcraft. <laughs> The what problem is James just happened to pass through Lester a month later and like checked in on the boy and the boy straight up admitted that he'd been lying. Of course. Mm -hmm. So he killed nine women and admitted he was lying. So the burden of proof starts raising with every single witch trial now. Okay. Um, Charles I is the king during 
this witch trial in 1634 with Edmund and Janet. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really suspicious of the fact that 17 women have all been found guilty. So he sends William Harvey, and he's like an extremely famous physician who has to do with like the discovery of like the circulatory system in the body and how it works cool really famous um he sends him to look into the trial like what what the hell's going on here why were 17 women found guilty now one of the physical things that can prove a witch is a witch according to and you guessed it king james's demonology (laughs) oh christ Mm -hmm is something called a witch's mark. Oh, I think I've like, heard of that. It's like an extra nipple on the body somewhere, which the devil is said to have created. And every time you associate with him, he, like, refreshes it, so it's always there. <laughs> yeah, it's um, freaking weird. Okay. A few of these women had been inspected, and marks had been found on, like, all of them. Hmm. And William Harvey re-examines these women with, like, the help of some midwives and finds all of these marks to be nothing. Like, absolutely hmm. nothing. I imagine they may have been moles or something. Yeah. If I had to make an educated guess. Hmm. Um, after that, the case quickly falls apart. And it turns out the father of Edmund was actually blackmailing all of these women for money. And if they didn't pay, he had his son accuse them of witchcraft. Oh, Lord. But what is ironic is that they actually used Janet Devis's stories from the Pindle Witch Trials as inspiration for the story that they made up. They were that convincing of stories. Wow. So it's kind of funny to me that her testimony bit her in the ass like that hard. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Janet Davis, she kind of falls off the books after that. Um, like, we have records of her, like, still in, like, jail after uh, the trials kind of fall apart. Um, but there's really no other records of her. Um, but it's kind of karmic what happens to her. Yeah, so she um, wasn't executed? No. Um, okay. I don't think any of the women were. Like, the trial just completely fell apart. Okay. People still have a lot of interest in the Pendle witches. In Pendle, there's something called Pendle Hill, which is like this big, big, beautiful hill. Um, There's a lot of local legend about rituals and things that went on up there in the time of the Pendle witches. Mm. So nowadays people go up there for EVPs and spirit box sessions and try and capture ghosts and things. And the Nutters, the family related to Alice Nutter, the devout Catholic who was killed in the trials, they still live in the area. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. They're like a family who's been there for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. Wow. We should go. Um, uh, we should go to that yes. hill. Check it out. Yes. I watched somebody climb it. Um, it looks a little daunting, but <laughs> fun. We'll do a live recording session from the, the top of the hill. <laughs> of us huffing and puffing up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. But there you go. The story of a nine-year-old who sentenced a slew of people to hanging and the witch and Catholic hating king who made it all possible. Wow, that was great. Fuck you, James. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. My story starts 
like you said, a little bit before yours in the 16th century. During the rule of King Henry VIII, um, we have like the exact same backstory pretty much. (laughs) I'm excited because I didn't do a lot of research into the English Reformation. Mm -hmm. I just knew that it's like, hmm, James hates Catholics. I should probably (laughs) know why. (laughs) So... Um, Everyone hated everyone for a while. It was a total shit show. Catholicism has existed and been like sort of the primary religion in Britain since it was Roman Britain or Britannia, like I talked about last time, St. Patrick. So Martin Luther's teachings had spread to Britain in the early 16th century, and some people did consider themselves Protestants, but they mostly did so in secret since they were still a minority. But then Henry VIII passes the 1534 Act of Supremacy, which declares him and all future monarchs of England as supreme head of the Church of England. Um, And that replaces the Pope as the supreme religious authority. Um, He also passes, like you said, the dissolution of the monasteries. Same thing that happened in the French Revolution. Um, Yeah, that's the thing I kind of glossed over. Um, Yeah. Absolutely glossed over. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) it's not like great for relations between the two religions. (laughs) No, Um, I don't imagine. (laughs) No. Um, So between Henry VIII's reign and um, Elizabeth I taking the throne, England like pinballs back and forth between Catholicism and Protestantism. And Mm -hmm. so this like creates a church that is full of tension between like Catholic structure and Protestant theology. So Mm -hmm. the ideas and practices are like quote unquote reformed, but services are taking place in these like ancient Catholic cathedrals and the priests are wearing like traditional vestments and reading from a book of liturgy. Um, It's not the Roman Missal, it's the book of common prayer, but still it's like it looks the same, pretty much. Um, See, I was trying to figure out how much difference there was, because the second that I read um, about, like, Good Friday and going to take, like, communion at the church, I was like, isn't that, like, a, a Catholic <laughs> thing? Yeah, so a lot of it is, like, so, so similar. And even today, Catholicism and Anglicanism are very, very similar. The main difference is just that, like, communion is symbolic. Yeah, Protestantism. and Catholic, it's extremely literal that it is the body of Christ. Yes. Um, Okay, I learned something. (laughs) Good, I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) So this, yeah, so like, and they basically, Protestants at this time, they get rid of all of like the extra stuff. They like trim a bunch of extra stuff. Like um, when you think of like a Catholic cathedral there's like stained glass and like flowers everywhere and incense and like candles like shit ton Mm -hmm. of candles and like everyone's dressed in like beautiful robes but protestantism is like no we don't we don't care for any of that stuff like that's all extra we want to only focus on scripture and god basically we don't need all these like earthly distractions but aesthetic is what makes religion (laughs) Amen, sister. I agree (laughs) with you. (laughs) 100%. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) it's true. (laughs) It is. I like witch. It's all about the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So, we agree on this. 
<laughs> yes, we do. We have more in common than <laughs> Catholics and Protestants do sometimes, I feel it's, like. It's really weird, um, mm-hmm. but also great. Yeah, I'm not complaining. So this like tension between the structure and the theology causes these factions to splinter and break off. And one of those factions are what are called church papists. Um, So these are traditionalists who outwardly attend the new Church of England, but they secretly still believe all the Roman Catholic teachings and practices. Um, Secret Catholics. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So during this time, our saint is born. Her name is Margaret Middleton. She is the fourth of five children born to Thomas and Jane Middleton in 1556 in York. Um, They're a Protestant family. Thomas Middleton is a respected wax chandler, which I guess means he sells candles. (laughs) (laughs) So did my sister on Facebook, but she didn't know if it's... (laughs) (laughs) He's like, he had the first Etsy shop. (laughs) Instead of his candles being like lavender, they were like animal fat. (laughs) Yeah, so that's what Thomas does. Later on, Thomas Middleton becomes the sheriff of York, so the Middleton family is doing pretty well. They're, like, pretty well off. Um, Thomas Middleton, unfortunately, dies when Margaret is 14. I read his will, actually. I wasn't going to include this because I cut a bunch of stuff, but I read his will, and he left Margaret the house in which she was born and four silver spoons which, like, broke my heart a little. Isn't he the sheriff? I would think he owns more than that. Well, <laughs> he had a lot of kids. <laughs> but... You get four spoons. <laughs> They're like silver my... spoons. <laughs> well... So Thomas Middleton dies when Margaret's 14. We don't know much about Jane Middleton, Margaret's mother, except that she remarried four months after her, her husband's death. Uh, she was sort of, like, looked down upon for that. And the man that she married later became mayor, so people think that he only married her because she was a rich widow, but who knows. Mm -hmm. We will come back to that guy, Henry May, Margaret's stepfather, later. Okay. Just like shove him to the the side, put him on the shelf. Um, So Margaret Middleton is described as beautiful and smart with a sharp wit. Um, A year after her father's death in 1571, at the ripe old age of 15. She <laughs> she marries John Clitheroe, a local butcher. What? What's what? his last name? Clitheroe. <laughs> okay, so like the word clit, then the word hero, and then a W. <laughs> you understand my problem, yes? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh boy. Clitheroe. Don't laugh. So he's a local butcher. He was pretty well off, too. He was the bridge master, which I think means he was, like, an officer in charge of one of the bridges in York. They had, like, um, well, they still, <laughs> the river still exists. They have a, <laughs> the river. They got ends. rid of the bridge. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> no. The, <laughs> the river ooze, O-U-S-E. It sounds like a an oozing wound, but it's not. It's okay. a river. It flows right through the city and goes all the way to the ocean. So 
this is like an important job. He's in charge of the bridge. He was also a chamberlain of the city. And according to Margaret's biography, he's one of, quote, the four sworn men against the late rebels and other evil disposed people suspected of papistry. So he's one of the Protestant community leaders that's put in charge to sort of sniff out these church papists who are um, secretly still Catholic. Oh no. Yeah. So that quote comes from the book, The Life and Death of Mistress Margaret, Mistress Margaret Clitheroe by John Mush, which is one of the main sources. And Mush was a priest and Margaret's confessor. So same thing as like Raymond of Capua for Catherine of Siena. They were just like super tight. So Margaret and John live in what's called the shambles in York, which sounds bad, but it's not actually bad. (laughs) They just gave it a bad name. Yeah. So shambles, I guess, is like an outdated term for um, an open air meat market or slaughterhouse. So it's kind uh, of funny that like words mean different things. I know. Because even in my story, the Devises lived in a place called um, Malking Tower, which sounds really fancy, but mm-hmm. I think it really just translates to like shit tower. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Continue. Yeah, so, so here it's like the reverse. It sounds shitty, it's but the, it's actually good. <laughs> it's It's good. Yeah. So uh, at one point in time, this street in York actually has 27 different butcher shops on it. (laughs) Why? Yeah, I don't know. They basically would just like slaughter animals and dress them right in the streets and like pour pour all the blood and guts and shit into the gutters. So I bet it smelled horrendous. (laughs) And so none of those butcher shops remain there, but the street has basically remained intact. It looks super cool and like medieval. There's these, like, buildings that are, like, leaning into the street, you know? It looks like Diagon Alley, basically. Um, Cool. It is super cool. So that's where they live. I picture John Clitheroe as this guy with sort of, like, piercing eyes, and he always has, like, pig's blood underneath his fingernails, you know? And he comes (laughs) home from, like, a long day of butchering animals in the street, and he has the leftover cuts of meat that nobody else wanted, like pig's ears and margaret like Mm -hmm. just throws them in the in the stew and they make it work that's just like my fantasy um nice yeah so margaret and john end up having three children over the course of their marriage henry anne and william we will also come back to them later so margaret becomes friends with a prominent couple in york who are both secret catholics and in 1574 a couple years after she marries john she converts to catholicism This puts a bit of a strain on their marriage, Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but John is sympathetic because his brother William is a Catholic priest, so he's not exactly on fire for, like, Protestantism. I think Mm -hmm. this job of being the Chamberlain and, like, um, reporting Catholics to the police was just something that kind of like came with the territory of being like a prominent citizen and it wasn't something that he really took seriously or like actively participated in so they're they're actually like fine okay so I mentioned earlier that there are these factions and one of them is the church papists another Mm -hmm. faction are what's called the recusants who they they refuse to go to church entirely so that's what Margaret does Um, 
but church is mandatory that's that's not quite a secret catholic Um, right so yeah she's basically basically saying fuck you i'm not going i don't believe in so kind of like the people at good friday in my story yeah so they got fucked over they didn't go to church yeah so it really is crazy that they're in the same they're put in the same category by the like the protestant governing authorities Mm -hmm. it's cool oh not cool for them but no it's very (laughs) terrible for them yeah (laughs) it's cool for us now But yeah, it's interesting that uh, this is like the first time we've had so many similarities across our stories that they have been like in the same status. Yeah. Um, So Margaret is a recusant, um, but church is mandatory, which Mm -hmm. we all know that's the best way to get anyone to believe anything is just to force it. That's what my parents did for 13 years with church. And as you can see, I'm a very proud pagan. (laughs) That's the worst. So because she doesn't go to church, their family gets the penalty of, um, like, they have to pay 12 pence, basically, per church service that Margaret misses. Um, And that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's about the same as the entire day's wage of, like, a skilled tradesman. So they can only afford this because they're rich. Um, A lot of poor people didn't have a choice. Uh, So Margaret's husband, John, pays all her fines for not attending church. And Margaret also has Catholic priests come to her house and say mass there. And she hires a schoolmaster to teach her children about Catholicism. And she sends her oldest son, Henry, to a seminary in France. (sighs) Yeah, so she doesn't give a fuck, really. Then, in 1576, recusancy is actually made a treasonable offense, not just like a fine anymore. So Margaret is imprisoned for the first time in York Castle in 1577. So York Castle has a very long history, as does the city of York itself. The castle was built by William the Conqueror in 1068, but by the 15th century, it's fallen into disrepair and ends up mostly being used as a jail for local criminals and as a site for political executions. Like, in the Wars of the Roses and stuff, every day they would have, like, a new person's head, like, <laughs> hanging up outside. <laughs> it's, like, the place to be for executions. <laughs> it's so weird to think about stuff like that in the old days, because I just like to take that and then bring it up to like present day because it would be so fucking bizarre if you just went out to like the local like jails and there's just heads Mm -hmm. everywhere yeah heads of like the mayor of the next town over (laughs) (laughs) i think i would speed less (laughs) so this is where margaret is imprisoned at least three separate times that I could find. Um, That's hilarious. I know. She she doesn't give a shit. Her youngest son, William, was born in prison. <laughs> Just fucking metal. <laughs> she actually learned to read and write in prison. And according to Father Mush, she had lots of visitors in prison because she had tons of friends. And she viewed prison as a, quote, profitable school where the servants of God, delivered from all worldly cares and business, might learn every Christian virtue. So she's like, 
I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to learn to read and write. I'm going to have a kid. I'm going to like chill out and like not do housework <laughs> and then like pray a bunch and see what happens. So she liked going to jail actually. And she would that reminds me of Catherine whenever she had to like <laughs> serve her family and she's like, this is great. <laughs> yeah, it's all this like weird counterintuitive stuff where it's like, I was almost assassinated. Fuck, I wish I'd been assassinated. I don't yeah. understand Catholics. <laughs> Y'all are a weird bunch. <laughs> well, it's the idea that like your physical suffering on earth can lessen your time in purgatory. Um, so like the more you suffer on earth, if you <laughs> if you take advantage of it like this, then like theoretically, like that's kind of the idea. But so she is definitely at the extreme end. <laughs> of that most catholics i don't i would say most modern catholics don't even think like this at all but margaret does so she would tell her fellow prisoners to sort of consider being imprisoned the way she does um and margaret has so she has a special reverence for catholic priests and the reason for this is partially because they're so scarce at this time in the reformation and she has a pretty big house and quite a bit of money so she decides to have secret passageways built in her house to hide priests and stuff. Um, a lot of the big prominent Catholic houses of the time had these. They were called priest holes, just like a secret <laughs> hiding spot like Anne Frank, but for a priest. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. So her Margaret's second, second floor fireplace is like a fake wall where it's like a secret room. So... It's all going great for a while. Oh, by the way, her husband has no fucking clue <laughs> about this. Like, that she's just made weird passages in the house for priests. Yeah, so apparently she does all her secrets, like Catholic stuff, while he's like out at work. <laughs> yeah, so John is a little bit clueless. He's a little slow. In 1584, Parliament passes an act that commands all Roman Catholic priests to leave England within 40 days or to swear an oath of loyalty to the queen. So Catholics are told to, what, get the fuck out? Yeah, the priests. Just um, the priests. Just the priests, yeah. So Has this happened before? Did this happen in like the French Revolution or something? Yeah, so priests had to be, they were either deported or they were executed. These poor or, ass priests. I know. <laughs> I mean, we don't want you here. <laughs> get the fuck out. So it also says that anyone who harbors priests or who knows of someone harboring a priest and doesn't inform the authorities can be imprisoned or executed. Ooh. Yeah, so this is to try to preserve that original act of supremacy, which goes all the way back to Henry VIII. Um, so one of Margaret's good friends who used to hear mass at her house recently mm -hmm. had recently come over and told her you need to stop doing this because it's against the law and at the very least you need to ask your husband if it's okay and she says fuck that <laughs> nonsense <laughs> well so she goes to her priest friend father mush and she asks him if she's doing the wrong thing by continuing to have priests in her house and if she should tell her husband and he tells her, quote, it is your husband's most safety not to know these things unless he were resolved to serve God, notwithstanding any danger. 
By his consent and license, you should not serve God at all. And in this, your necessary duty to God, you are not any whit inferior to him. I just think that's cool that like a man living at this time tells a woman that she's equal to a man. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're not inferior to him. You you don't have to, like, you're not his subordinate, basically. He doesn't have to know everything that you're doing and you're keeping him safe, basically, by not telling him since it's his that's- job to report you. So, so refreshing. So he also tells her that um, harboring priests is even more necessary now that this law has passed, which like, of course he would say that he's like the one that Mm -hmm. she's harboring. (laughs) But he's like, no, I need to hide in your wall. You don't understand. It's like, I'm sure that God really, really wants you to keep doing this. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm not biased at all. This is coming straight from the Lord. (laughs) So she gets really happy about this. And she says, all priests shall be more welcome to me than ever they were. And he says in reply, then you must prepare your neck for the rope. Margaret says, God's will be done, but I am far unworthy of that honor. One cool thing about Margaret's biography that Father Mush writes that I didn't really think about is that, um, so he published it really shortly after her death. So Mm -hmm. he can't be too specific about particular things he mentions, or especially specific people he mentions, because... Because they might still be alive? Yeah, and they could be executed too. Yeah, that's why I don't have a lot of specific detail about the time between the 1584 Act and Margaret's final arrest. But Father Mush says that she was always caring for people's bodies and spirits. She visited people in prison. She brought people food. She brought them the sacraments. She created a safe place for Catholics to worship. She gave poor people money. She gave her enemies money. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) money. She threw money around literally like all the time. (laughs) She just made it rain. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it wasn't like fun and like nice floating dollar bills. It was like coins. (laughs) Uh, Father Mush says that she was happiest when multiple priests were hiding in her house and that if there were no priests, she would kind of be overcome with grief and basically take it as a sign that she was somehow unworthy and that that she had to atone for something. And that's why like no one wanted to stay with her. Mush says that, like, most people loved her. She was, quote, a jewel, and he gives her the nickname the Pearl of York. So that's her, like, main nickname. There's also, sorry, I'm like, I really liked this part. There's one point in the biography, he does this cool extended metaphor where he compares her to a honeybee, and he says that she thought of every person as, like, a flower um, to visit, for like some kind of like like every everyone had something to offer basically and i just thought that was a cool comparison i just like when i read it i like couldn't stop smiling (laughs) it's like i was like he must have loved her so much okay so margaret sends 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 all three of her children abroad to prepare them to join religious orders at first it was just the oldest henry but now the other two are old enough to go too so they're all abroad all the children And like I said, a lot of this is secret from her husband to the point where (laughs) her husband later has to petition the courts, as I understand it, to find out the whereabouts of his daughter, Anne. 
and she's been like living in a Belgian convent for like four years and he had no clue. <laughs> it's so funny to me how clueless this man is. Like authorities could show up to his door and be like, is your wife a secret Catholic? And he'd be like, what are you talking about? As like 12 priests are behind him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he is totally clueless. So that's like the extent of the secrecy. Um, And the reason she's being so secretive is basically for his safety and her children's safety. That's why she got them out Mm -hmm. of the country in the first place. Okay, so one of Margaret's favorite activities is what she calls her quote-unquote pilgrimage to a place called Knavesmere, I think is how you pronounce it. So this is just like a half mile outside the York City walls, which is funny that she calls it like a pilgrimage. <laughs> it's just a half a mile. Because <laughs> <Dude, laughs> I walk farther for school. <laughs> but so the reason she's like serious about it is because it was a, um, uh, there were like a gallows there where mm. lots of Catholics had been executed and it was set up outside the city walls as like a, a warning basically. So she liked to go there at night and it was dangerous because uh, if someone saw her like kneeling in front of this, like these gallows, like that wouldn't be good if that got around. So Mm -hmm. she liked to walk there with two or three friends and she would like kneel under the gallows until her friends were like, enough, we've been here for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She would also would do this thing that totally cracks me up. She and her husband were like really popular because they were rich. People liked them. So people would invite them to banquets out of town. But Margaret never wanted to go to the banquets. Um, One, because she had like a strict schedule of fasting that she tried to stick to. So she didn't want to be like tempted by all the nice food. Um, And another reason was that she probably just didn't like, she probably didn't enjoy hanging out with rich Protestants too much. So she didn't want to go. So she would do this thing where everyone gets on their horses in the morning to go off to the banquet and she goes with them. But then like a mile outside of town, one of her friends is waiting on another horse, like dressed similarly, and she goes with them. And Margaret <laughs> Margaret just stays in the woods. <laughs> and then when they come back at night, Margaret goes back home with them. I imagine her husband when they show up to the banquet, he, like, helps his, who he thinks is his wife down from the horse, and he, like, takes her hood off or whatever, and he's like, fucking Jessica, again? Again. Like, another level of complete cluelessness for this man. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it's not his wife traveling with him. I know. How many times, I wonder, did she get away with it? (laughs) <laughs> like on the 13th time did he like finally figure it out or what i don't know man and jessica's just going along for like the free crab legs or whatever okay one of these times i guess she can't get out of going to the banquet so she does end up actually going her husband gets a little drunk at dinner and he starts talking shit about catholics and uh it's not like in a shitty way, really. It's not like, oh, I hate Catholics. I wish they would be like burned at the stake or something. He's like, he's just drunk and like messing around. He's being like, hey, what's the deal with Catholics? They think they're they're holier than us, but they do bad stuff too. 
like that's the extent of like what he's saying but Margaret like bursts into tears I think that's like such a modern relationship dynamic where like clueless husband (laughs) accidentally insults wife (laughs) on some like political religious grounds yeah she goes off to the kitchen and passive aggressively makes dinner Mm -hmm. it's like husbands have been getting drunk and hurting their wives feelings for so long like centuries (laughs) yes um but i guess their marriage was mostly good um john said that basically he only had two complaints about margaret one was that she fasted too much and two was that she didn't come to church with him she's too skinny and i have to keep paying all her fines and bailing her out of jail (laughs) 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 but apparently they do have a good marriage Okay, so I mentioned before that Margaret sent all her children abroad to study Catholicism. Well, in 1586, the Council of York finds out about this. And Mm -hmm. yeah, on March 10th, they summon John to appear in court. And the mayor at this... He doesn't know what's happening. (laughs) No fucking clue. (laughs) Like, literally, it could not be more useless. (laughs) He's like, my children are gone? (laughs) It's like, I have children? (laughs) (laughs) No way. (laughs) Good old John. Um, (laughs) So the mayor at this time, if you remember, is Henry May, Margaret's stepfather. Yes. Some people think that he orchestrated all of this in order to prove his allegiance to the queen, which is a bummer. So Margaret is well-known around town. People knew she was Catholic. She'd spent time in prison. She hadn't changed her ways at all. Nothing really seemed to get to her because she's rich and people like her. And so people think that her stepfather was embarrassed about that and decided to make an example out of her. And suck up to the queen. Right. There's a theme. There's a lot of themes in yeah, this episode. Roger Knoll <laughs> sucking up to King James yep. in the same way that he's sucking up to Queen Elizabeth. So Yep. Um, it's shitty. So he wants to make this whole trial as public as Margaret's religious descent has been in the past. Um, and he's going to go out of his way so that everyone knows that being rich won't keep you out of harm's way forever, basically. So John doesn't go to court at first because he doesn't take it seriously um, (laughs) because he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. And Margaret is anxious because she knows that if he does go, then the authorities are going to use that as an opportunity to come search the house while he's gone. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's right. find all the priest holes. Yep. Um, She's right. That's exactly what happens. They come, they search the house, the priests hide in the secret room and actually escape. Um, So they don't actually find the priests when they're there. So really there's not actual evidence that Margaret has been harboring priests. It's just like, probably, I mean, there's a secret Mm -hmm. room and there's like some chalices and stuff. (laughs) Well, what could be here, I guess? (laughs) The chalice is like spinning a little as if a priest has just like dashed out. Um, Margaret and her husband, John, are sent to two different prisons. When Margaret arrives at prison, she's soaking wet. We don't know why, but most likely the sheriffs had thrown her in the river on their way over. Just for good measure. That that really important bridge. 
from mm-hmm. earlier. They just kicked her off the side of it. Mm-hmm. They just dunked her <laughs> ass in the river real quick. Um, <laughs> so that's cute. Um, Margaret's arraignment is a couple days later on March 14th. Apparently, these judges or council members are the same ones who just recently sentenced other Catholics to death. So, not good news. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, the mayor is there, the stepfather. Asshole. That's like the worst stepfather in the world. Margaret's indictment is read aloud that she harbored priests, that she heard mass, etc. The judge asks her if she's guilty, and she says... I know of no offense where I should confess myself guilty. Apparently she's smiling the entire time too, which like really (laughs) pisses everyone off. Um, The judge goes, yes, you are guilty. And she's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, yes, you are. And she's like, no, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, the judge is like, you are guilty. You have to be tried. And Margaret says, I will be tried only by God and your own consciences. So as in not by the law, like I didn't break any of your laws Mm -hmm. like I'm not subject to them basically so this is where things devolve they do a bunch of crazy shit to try and get her upset so that she will confess and submit to a trial um they dress up two dudes in the like the priest's vestments that they found in her house and Mm -hmm. they give them the chalices and they do like a mockery of like a mass and like a consecration to see if she'll get upset basically but she doesn't so the judge urges her to like enter a plea and submit to a trial because the only alternative is execution and margaret says god's will be done i will suffer any death for this good cause and she's still like smiling the whole time so (laughs) some people accuse her of like being insane um which makes sense and one of them accuses her of like fucking all these priests that she was hiding in her house like they are just trying to make her mad so she'll say something but she doesn't Mm -hmm. and the judge keeps offering her all these outs because he actually doesn't want to execute her because it would look Mm -hmm. really bad because she's a woman and she's a rich woman and prominent um it's just not yeah it's not a good idea (laughs) So he tells her to consider, like, think of your husband, think of your children. And, uh, but actually, by not entering a plea and submitting to a trial, she's protecting her husband and children. Because if she is found guilty, then they could be tortured and executed too. She's not going to let that happen. So then the judge says, if you will not put yourself to the country, this must be your judgment. You must return from whence you came, and there, in the lowest part of the prison, be stripped naked, laid down, your back upon the ground, and as much weight laid upon you as you are able to bear, and the third day to be pressed to death, your hands and feet tied to posts, and a sharp stone under your back. You're going to swish her? Yeah. So this was like a common method of execution for people who refused to submit to a trial. Basically... What happens is because of the injury to your skeletal muscle, you just go into shock and die. And they add weight like a little bit at a time. So it's just worse and worse and worse by degrees. It doesn't kill you all at once. Yeah. So, and that's hoping that you'll break down and you'll confess to something. Confess at some point. Same way they torture witches by like ripping off their fingernails, hoping that they'll give it up and give other people up before, you know, they disinvolve them or something. Yes, exactly. So yeah, they like 
you lay down and there's a stone under your back. They put a door on you, apparently, and then they add, like, stones and stuff. <sighs> Man, these medieval people, they just wanted to, like, devise the most inhumane ways that they could kill you. It's disgusting. Who sat down and thought of these? I know. They, what, like, they must have been some sick fucks. Yeah, it must have been, like, a weird fetish for them. Like, mm-hmm. it, ugh, it's so creepy. Like, I, I have thought of a new way that we can kill people. What if we just put a door on them and then just keep adding stones, like, one at a time and just see what happens? And everyone else is like, what the fuck, dude? Are you okay, Dave? I think you need help, Dave. <laughs> and then the king hires him. Mm-hmm. You're hired. James is like, welcome to the team. <laughs> I like the way you think, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a think tank for torture. Ew. Ugh. I hate men. (laughs) (laughs) It's disgusting. Oh, God. So this is what Margaret has been sentenced to. She says, God be thanked. All that he shall send me shall be welcome. I am not worthy of so good a death as this. I have deserved death for mine offenses to God, but not for anything that I am accused of. So they immediately remove her from the court and take her through the city streets back to the prison. She's like grinning the whole way and the onlookers are like, half of them think she's totally bananas and the other half say she looks like she's sort of like consumed by like the Holy Spirit almost. Uh, She's got that Holy Spirit glow. Um, So according to the biography, this is sad, quote, when her husband heard that they had condemned her, he fared like a man out of his wits and wept so vehemently that the blood gushed out of his nose in great quantity, and said, Alas, will they kill my wife? Let them take all I have and save her, for she is the best wife in all England, and the best Catholic also. Oh, John. He might have been clueless, but he was a good husband. Yes, except for that one time. <laughs> except for that one time he got drunk at that one party. But who hasn't? <laughs> Um, So Margaret's in York Castle awaiting death, and the judge doesn't want to execute her, so he gets his officials to ask her if she's pregnant. Again, another theme. Another theme. You know, you can get out of it if you're pregnant. Yes. Um, So she keeps saying she doesn't know for sure. There's no way Mm -hmm. she can know. Um, the judge is adamant that she will not be executed if she's pregnant. So her friends and family keep telling her, like, just lie. (laughs) Say you are. Just say you are. Like, what's the harm? Like, people probably have, like, 10 miscarriages a year. Like, it's not like you'll be... Anyway, so Mm -hmm. um, she won't say it, though. So the judge orders four, quote-unquote, honest women to examine her and determine whether or not she is... And it turns out that she probably is pregnant. So the judge doesn't want to execute her. But the other councilmen say she's lying. And that these women are her friends. Mm -hmm. Because she was basically friends with everyone. And they're lying for her. They tell her, or they tell the judge, she has to be executed. Otherwise, this is going to set a really bad precedent. Like, we have to put our foot down. Um, They think she's going to create an army of women who have no fear of the law, Um, which like... And they can just get out of things by saying, I'm pregnant, so... Yep. Mm -hmm. So the judge says he's going to stay the execution until next Friday, which is the 25th of March. Um, It was also Good Friday, which is symbolic. (laughs) 
Good friend, um, another connection. Yes. So the judge says if he hasn't heard anything by then, then that's going to be her execution date. So during this time, Margaret is visited by all kinds of Protestant ministers who keep asking her all these questions about why she won't submit to a trial. Um, she says she's not guilty of any offenses, so there's no need. Um, she is like a master of answering questions without perjuring herself. And if um, you or the listeners are familiar at all with like the trial of Joan of Arc, it's the exact same thing where this like sort of like unlearned woman is somehow able to talk her way around all these like really high educated men um, and no one can figure out how. <laughs> and they're not happy about it. Yes, exactly. Uh, even Margaret's stepfather, the mayor, comes to try to convince her, but she refuses. So six days before Margaret's execution, her husband John is set free and told to depart the city for five days, which like, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen in five days. Um, so mm -hmm. Margaret gets like tipped off about this. So she knows the date of her death, even though no one has like told her officially. Two days before Good Friday, the sheriffs come and tell her that she's going to die on Friday. And she tells a friend, quote, the sheriffs have told me that I shall die on Friday next. And now I feel the frailty of mine own flesh, which trembleth at these news, although my spirit greatly rejoiceth. Um, so after she gets the news, she makes herself like a simple white linen gown for her execution. She makes herself a little execution outfit, <laughs> which I think is kind of baller in like the style of a, a religious habit. So the night before her execution, she can't sleep. She requests that um, a maiden come and stay with her, but they don't allow it. So um, she lays down on the ground and she prays from midnight to 8 a.m. when the two sheriffs of York finally come for her. So they bring her from the prison through the streets again to the site of her execution. And the street apparently is so full of people they can like barely get through. Um, they lead Margaret over the Ouse Bridge, which is one of the main bridges in town. Um, so mm -hmm. she's going to be executed in the toll booth on that bridge, the bridge that her husband is the bridge master of. So it's like, oof. Talk about um, setting an example. I know. So they get to the toll booth and Margaret kneels and starts to pray. Some of the Protestant onlookers, I guess, were mocking her. And they told her to pray with them. And she said in reply, I will not pray with you and you shall not pray with me. Neither will I say amen to your prayers, nor shall you to mine. So she's like, fuck you. Get the fuck away from me. Don't talk this, to me. This is a private call to God. <laughs> you are not invited on this video chat. <laughs> so then they tell her to pray for the queen. And Margaret says, uh, Margaret prays, quote, for the Catholic Church, then for the Pope's holiness, cardinals, and other fathers which have charge of souls, and then for all Christian princes, and especially for Elizabeth, Queen of England, that God turn her to the Catholic faith, and that after this mortal life she may receive the blessed joys of heaven. For I wish as much good to her majesty's soul as to mine own. <laughs> so that's like her final fuck you. They're like, pray for the queen, and she's like, I pray that the queen becomes Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> you did not specify yeah i prayed for her so at this point one of the sheriffs tells her um you must remember and confess that you die for treason 
And she replies, no, Mr. Sheriff, I die for the love of my Lord Jesus. Um, the sheriff tells her she has to take off her garments because she is supposed to die naked, which is like truly someone's fetish. Like this is not necessary at all. <laughs> no, it's not. Like they just want to humiliate yes. this woman. Humiliation, definitely. So she asks him to let her die in her linen gown that she made. Um, and actually then a bunch of women apparently beg him from the crowd also. They're like, please do not take this any further. Um, do not he, rob her of her dignity. Yeah. So he refuses, but he does allow the women to be the ones who remove her gown. So it's like, oh, thank you so much. Fucking mm -hmm. idiot. She's naked. She lays down on the ground. There's a sharp stone about the size of a fist under her back. Um, the sheriff's place the door on top of her, they bind her hands, then they start to place weight on the door. And when she first felt it, she said, Jesus, 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 have mercy on me. That's the last thing she says. About 700 pounds of weight is placed on the door, mm -hmm. which causes her ribs to break, and she dies within 15 minutes. That'd be the worst 15 minutes. Yeah, just absolutely terrible. Yeah, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. I mean, hopefully your body just kind of goes into shock and shuts down and you don't feel it too much. But I, I mean, don't know. your lungs being compressed like that, not being able to breathe. Yeah. I mean, your blood not being able to circulate. Yeah. So that's a lot of weight in a short time. Well, obviously it's a lot of weight. But so in previous like famous cases where they did this to people, um, a lot of times people will confess after like a half hour when they only have like 300 pounds on them. So mm -hmm. they seem to have added a lot of weight very quickly. Some people think that's because she was really well liked and that everyone knew she wasn't going to confess. So they wanted to get it over with as quickly as possible. So yeah, it's horrific. Um, she's only 30 years old when she dies. So young. Um... Yeah, I pictured her older. Yeah, and I what when I did like Catherine of Siena, I pictured her older too. Mm -hmm. She was what thirty three. Thirty three, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So after the execution, her body was taken away by the executioners and buried in an unmarked grave, in like an obscure corner of the city, so that no one would find it. Someone does find it after about six weeks, and they dig it up. It said that the body was secretly embalmed and reburied in an unknown location, but not before a relic was removed. Her hand. What is up with people chopping off body parts of saints? <laughs> Relics are, I mean, they're still kind of a big deal today, but like back then, totally, were like all the rage. Did they have to be body parts or could they be things they owned? Um, so a body part would be like a primary relic, which would be more, that would be better than like a secondary relic, like, um, like the clothes of the, the nuns in episode one, those were mm -hmm. like secondary, but this would be primary. So it's not known for sure, but it's said that her hand was later interred at the, one of the convents in York, um, the Bar Convent, which was a uh, which was founded in 1686, it still exists, which makes it the oldest surviving Catholic convent in England. 
Um, so we still don't know where Margaret is actually buried, but there was a sort of local legend that said she was taken a horse's journey at night and was buried. There she will remain until the church is restored to its own. Some people think this means Lancashire because mm. it seems to be the right distance away. And like you said, there's a lot of Catholics still living there in secret. Yeah. And they had like a, a very important like monastery there that like the dissolution of the monasteries that uh, people were very unhappy about. So in 1915, um, the ruins of an old family chapel were excavated and beneath the altar, um, they unearthed a shrine to a martyr. It was empty. Hmm. So it's possible that Margaret could have been buried there. And then her body was later moved. We just don't know, unfortunately. Um, Where she is? Yeah, we don't know. Um, Did they ever tell her family? Yeah, so Margaret's two sons, Henry and William, uh, they both become priests. And her Mm -hmm. daughter, Anne, becomes a nun. Anne is actually imprisoned in Lancaster Castle in 1593 for quote-unquote causes ecclesiastical it's not clear what the causes are but some people think she might have been visiting her mother's grave Mm. but that's just like speculation so yeah her children all grow up to join um like seminaries and stuff um i don't know what happened to john actually i think he remarried and just like kind of like lived out the rest of his life in york um i don't think he did anything like particularly noteworthy after all this. So in 1929, Catherine was beatified by Pope Pius XI, and on the 25th of October 1970, she was canonized by Pope Paul VI as one of the 40 martyrs of England and Wales who were killed during the English Reformation. Mm. Their feast day is the 4th of May in England and the 25th of October in Wales. She is also commemorated in England on the 30th of August. There's a shrine to her at her and John's home in the Shambles in York. And yeah, that street and the house kind of remains unchanged, mostly unchanged to this day. Uh, Yeah, so that is the story of the martyr Margaret Clitheroe, the Pearl of York. She was a ballsy lady, but (laughs) (laughs) her death is very sad. It sucks. This is a cool episode, though, because I don't know if we've ever had this many connections before. Yeah, it's super cool. One of these days, we're just going to tell the exact same story. It'll be a complete accident. I'll show up and be like, we're going to talk about this, this witch. And Sarah will be like, fuck, that was my saint. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of saints it could be, like saints who are accused of witchcraft, for sure. Um I mean, Joan of Arc is Mm -hmm. one that's a crossover. Bridget is another one that's both a witch and a saint. Not necessarily the same person, but there's a lot of crossover there. So Mm -hmm. um, there's potential for us to accidentally talk about the same person a couple Mm -hmm. times. (laughs) (laughs) This was fun. It was fun. It's fun to be not the bad guy for once. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) so the english reformation is definitely fun because i'll be like hey now we're the victim (laughs) for once in our fucking lives so yeah um thanks for listening please uh check out our instagram for relevant pictures from today's episode and all of our episodes and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast yeah Um, we should be up on what all platforms now 
I think so. Yeah, absolutely. All of them. So mm-hmm. make sure you subscribe, make sure you rate us, leave us some reviews. And um, as always, don't hesitate to get a hold of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks be to God. Blessed be.